As many of you are aware, we are in the season of stewardship, and I uh, have a recently off the press uh, some materials for our stewardship campaign this year that will be in the mail this week to you, so I encourage you to receive it and look at it carefully and prayerfully and consider your stewardship as we uh, seek to serve our Lord faithfully. Our text this morning from Exodus is about stewardship. It's about the stewardship of human resources. I invite you to listen as I read from the book of Exodus, the 18th chapter. It begins with these words, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And then picking up the text in verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he delivered the people from the Egyptians when they dealt arrogantly with them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law, in the presence of God. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people while the people stood around him from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for these people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Well, Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people Come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make known to them the statutes and the instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions, and make known to them the way that they are to go and the things that they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty and gracious God, we do give you thanks. Thank you for your word. And as your word moves over the entire world, may you even today speak to our hearts. For we've come to hear what a living God has to say. So open our ears and our eyes, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. 
In the press of daily living, we sometimes hold on to things too tightly. Dr. James Wharton tells the story, was his father's story actually. His father was a missionary, a Presbyterian missionary in Africa long ago when it was still rather primitive conditions along the Congo River. Some of the native people there were in the business of trapping monkeys. Now the way to trap a monkey is first to scatter some grain here and there so that the monkeys find it and then they return to that same location for more. Then you take a coconut and you cut a small hole in it and hollow it out. Then you fill the coconut with grain and tie the coconut to a rock or a tree and then the hunter hides in the bushes and waits for the monkey to come along. When the monkey comes along and finds that coconut, he's absolutely delighted. He thinks he's found the mother load. There's more grain in that coconut than he's ever seen in one place at one time. So he does the natural thing. He sticks his paw through that little hole in the coconut and grabs himself a fistful of grain. But now the monkey has a problem. The hole in the coconut is barely large enough to stick his paw through when it's empty, squeezing all of his fingers together. There is no way that he can pull his paw out, letting go of all of that delicious grain. So what does the monkey do in a situation like that? Apparently, most monkeys do about the same thing most of us do when we get our hands on something really good. Most monkeys hang on to the grain for dear life no matter what's going on around them. They know what they want. They know what they've got, and they're not about to let go of it. And it probably never occurs to them that there's anything more important than holding on to that grain until the hunter walks up and throws a net over the monkey. And at that point, it's clearly too late. The monkey discovers there are at least two things that are more important than what he's hanging on to, all that grain. One of them is being alive, and the other is being free. Christian stewardship is about the joy of being alive and being free. Sometimes we just hang on to things, even good things, too tightly or too long, so much so that we lose our freedom. Today we learn about Moses hanging on to his position of leadership in such a way that it's become a burden for him and a burden for the people he leads. It's a case of the stewardship of human resources. Now, I don't know about you, but I recently received in the mail a jury summons. It's not the first time, and it certainly won't be the last time. On a previous occasion, I got as close to sitting in the jury box during selection process between two attorneys in a civil case. But when they discovered I was a minister... And knowing there would be lots of evidence in this case with some rather vulgar and profane language, I was dismissed, which was just fine with me. 
In fact, when you sit in the jury pool area, as many of you have, everyone is hoping that they won't get called, and they're working on their hardship story if they do. So according to the materials in the summons, there are over 23,300,000 jury summons each year. So I'm not special. 463 judges in 46 courthouses preside over 4,516 cases a year. So when we say in the Pledge of Allegiance, with liberty and justice for all, this is what it takes to deliver on that pledge in Los Angeles County alone. Now on some level we all value justice. Most of us believe in our justice system that requires a trial by a jury of your peers. But when it comes to actually implementing those values in the day-to-day grind, we would just assume someone else have the honor of serving the cause of justice. But when I see the ways in which injustice prevails in other parts of the world, or justice is meted out without a trial by vigilantes or religious compliance squads, I'm truly grateful for our system. Though it demands something from every one of us, it's better that than our fate be determined by whomever is the mightiest or the richest or whoever comes from the right tribe. This is, of course, precisely the complaint that several groups within our own system of justice experience it. The force of law, the force of law must never be reduced to merely the law of force. Justice is something that God cares about. It was injustice and oppression experienced by the Israelites that led God to act, to redeem a people trapped by injustice and slavery. God the Deliverer now seeks to establish a system for maintaining justice in a society. There has to be some way to resolve conflicts because they arise daily. There has to be some way to take care of issues because people run into one another. They get their nose bent out of joint about all sorts of things. Neighbors get on each other's nerves. Accidents need to be sorted out. And according to this text of Scripture, it takes people who fear God, people who are trustworthy, it takes people who hate dishonest gain to sort these things out. And it takes an appellate system to handle the truly difficult cases. For all the challenges that we face in modern society, it's amazing that not much has really changed in 4,000 years. These are still the necessities. And so I'll go off to Superior Court, and I'll be seated, if so selected, on a jury. Now Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, was from Midian. And on this World Communion Sunday, we should observe the fact that 
Lots of good ideas come from some surprising people, including in-laws. Not always do they come from the people that we expect to hear good advice from, within the confines of our own class or race or nation. We may have to learn about freedom from those who trap monkeys. The rule of law comes to us from these early developments thousands of years ago. And from this text, our own form of government in the Presbyterian Church finds its roots. We believe in a form of government that doesn't provide power to one individual, but to groups of people to share the load. That's why we elect deacons and elders. So here's my question this morning. What are you holding too tightly? What is God asking you to let go of so that you can enjoy living and you can know the freedom of being alive? It may be your own security that you hold too tightly or it may be some responsibility that you have that could be shared. Maybe this Thanksgiving, it's time to ask the kids to bring something to dinner. Maybe at work you should delegate some of the responsibilities that you shoulder, that now it's time for others to shoulder with you. Whatever it is, we come to this table this morning, and we can leave those things we hold too tightly here. You come to this table where you are invited and I am invited to a feast that the Lord has provided. So take your hand out of the coconut. None of us are qualified to come to this table. We are here only because of the great love God has for each of us. So come and eat. Come to the table with brothers and sisters from around the world. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Thanks be to God. Amen.